0: Welcome to Making Conversations, a podcast from makers Gemma Millen and Robin Galway.
1: Today we are making conversations with potter Adam Free. Hello and welcome to this episode of Making Conversations podcast. This is episode seven and today myself and Robin are speaking with the amazing Adam
2: Free. Hi yeah, how's it going? Thanks <laughs> yeah. for having me. Yeah. Thanks for
1: joining us. <laughs> so could you talk to us a little bit about your childhood? Did ceramics feature heavily to influence where you are now?
2: No, not really. Not at all actually. I found I came to ceramics sort of very later on, probably the foundation of our college. My mum, actually, she went through the art college and she did ceramics, but she never sort of pushed that on me. She always sort of pushed a sort of more creative thing growing up. You know, there would always be the art drawer. So, you know, I could go in and I could get things. To be honest, actually, I don't know if I was that interested in art that much growing up you know i was good at it in school you know i would have been one of the better drawers in the class and stuff it's just something i could do because it was a stronger subject of mine you know i just went on to do an a level in it and then a foundation and then ended up in in art college so yeah
0: so what was in your art drawer that you mentioned was it a bunch of materials that you could kind of take out at any point or
2: yeah, just I've got a couple of kids, so we've got an art drawer for them as well oh. at home, and it's just bits of scrap card and paints and pencils and all different kinds of uh, creative materials. Yeah, so I think that was definitely an influence on me and my career choice. Yeah, I suppose I'm a creative person. You know, I like doing other creative things apart from making pots, but sort of fell into it and loved the process of it. I loved the idea of working with the clay and working on the wheel. And yeah,
0: you said your mum was creative as well. Do you come from quite a creative family?
2: yes I do my sister Leslie she went to the art college she did textiles mm-hmm. and then she set up a business after she did jewelry and my sister Emma my older sister she did art at school she was very good but actually choose a different career path mm-hmm. myself and my, my wee sister we both went the art direction
1: when was it then that you were first introduced to clay you said it was more of an educational thing was it definitely the pottery wheel that first piqued your interest
2: I tried clay at school absolutely hated it um <laughs> so <laughs> I was always into drawing and Painting. I suppose school for me, I just drifted through it. I had sort of no idea of what I wanted to do. One of the things I hated in school were careers talks.
1: You know, yeah. they'd look at
2: your strengths and then they would try and like work out what your job would be. And I just found that really, you know, <laughs> depressing. Whenever I went to Cassaray College mm-hmm. after school, then I picked art subjects to do I did a photography and I did a like a history of art critical studies and I did an A-level art and see from there on just everything changed I just knew what I wanted to do I knew that I needed to be working in a creative environment and it wasn't till the end of my foundation that I just was mucking about on the potter's wheel it would be something to do not seriously just mucking about after doing a bit of painting or whatever then get on the potter's wheel and and make a couple of pots. but I just loved the whole process of it and then and then I sort of found I can make these vessels and they can be like a canvas, you know, for images and for whatever ideas was going on in my head at the time, put on these pots. So I thought I could marry the two together. And I wasn't really thinking about function back then. It was just about the love of throwing and just seeing this lump of clay emerging into this vessel and then able to then paint on it. It wasn't, it was just, that's what it was about. Then I decided that's what I want to do in art college is to go and do ceramics.
0: Was your aesthetic quite similar from, say, you know, foundation through to what you do now? Or has there been quite a lot of visual difference between the two?
2: Yeah, it's always been about the vessel and it's always been about the surface and trying to link the two. But I took a year out of uni. But at that stage when I took a year out, I didn't really think of myself as being a potter. I thought myself as being an artist. And I took a year out and I wrote loads of letters to different potteries, people that I liked. And I got one letter back from this very traditional pottery, which I didn't really think a lot of at the time. had brown pots that I thought at the time, functional, boring, wood-fired pots. <laughs> so I went along, because the only one who got back to me for my year out. So I spent the summer there, and then my tutor Clive got me set up with another placement in Finland for the rest of my time so that would have been like 9-10 months in Finland 3 months in this place called Winchcombe. and it was there that I learned to fall in love with Function and the whole idea of you know making a pot and a handcrafted thing that could then be on the table and used as I grew to love what was going on there, Function became a big part of what I was doing but then Function and the decoration and the whole lot just comes together.
0: How did you Find being in Finland? Were you based in Helsinki or did you do quite a bit of travelling while you were there?
2: I well, I was working, it really felt like a job. Um, I got paid a decent wage actually for the little work that I did there, the little skills that I had at that time. I had weekends free, but it was actually an island off oh, Finland, no. a Swedish-speaking island. So it was really buzzing in the summer, but in the winter it was really dead. But I oh, wasn't really bothered. I love being there, I loved the seasons. I think it was one of the coldest times had been in a long time. Whenever I was there, it was like minus 30. Oh, my gosh. So the sea was frozen and you could drive. Your, there's like ice roads. You could drive your car across it. It's really, really a fascinating Amazing. experience. Culturally, really, really interesting. You know, I, I loved it. in the summers, great summers. Good memories of being in Finland. Did yeah. you try any of
0: the local cuisine? A lot of salmiaki and Karelian pies, I think, were...
2: Have you been there?
0: Yeah, I did a, an Erasmus there for 11 months. But uh, in the Russian it, border in Mastra. And it was right. fantastic but yeah the food was combinations of like licorice and salt
2: licorice i remember licorice being a big thing there they like to drink a lot as well they like yeah. <laughs> i think it's more like swedish inspired the food on this island because it was finnish it was it's a part of finland but it was swedish speaking but i think you know like meatballs and sort of ikea food <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, um, I wasn't a great cook back then i'm really into yeah. cooking now I'm, I'm into cooking. I'm into the whole idea of using pots, and you know, that's a big part of why I make pots as well. It's the food. But back then, you know, I, I don't think I could have rustled much up. So, food might might not have been the, the focus uh, when I was there. But yeah, it was yeah. it was cool.
1: So it must have been quite a culture shock, even going not just from Northern Ireland but yeah. into this island where they're speaking a completely different language as well. But even in terms of the making culture, how was it different there?
2: Yeah, it felt like a proper job. It was structured and I was working nine to five, Monday yeah. to Friday. And so, you know, I would have had my jobs to do. The Jigger Jolly and slip casting and a little bit of throwing. But yeah. uh, mainly I was production work, making clay, stuff like that, you know, making glazes, all, all those kinds of things. You know, just all the kind of stuff, all the valuable stuff you need to know if you're going to set up your own studio. So... Really? In, in, in a way, it was good grounded for me to, to have those experiences, to learn. You know, and also what it takes to, to make it and the hard graft that goes into running a business as well, which maybe I didn't really think about too much when I was there. Yeah, as a young, a young man going there, never been away from home pretty daunting that trip flying into sweden and then trying to get a train up north to get a boat over to the island it was all a bit like oh my goodness (laughs) but yeah good experience from there
1: we know that you went on and worked with the incredible lisa hammond that's right um who founded the adopt a potter project what was that like you worked with her for two years was it
2: Brilliant. So two years I worked for her. That was maybe a time when I was thinking more about business, you know, and really noticing how she worked, how she sold her pots, the kind of shows she was doing, exhibitions she was in. I was helping along with all those things. So I could really understand, you know, running classes, I taught a class there, you know, preparing for those kinds of things. All round, good learning experience working for Lisa, because she's at the top of her game. She's one of the big names in ceramics now. So that was a great place to be and a great place to learn. Me then coming home and setting up my own business. And what was your
0: degree show? Like, what kind of work did you finish with coming back from, from Finland and having that experience? Was that in your second year that you went away to Finland?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, I came back with a lot more skills. To They were thrown pieces, big pieces. They were quite earthy. Uh, my work's all porcelain now. Completely different but you know they were quite painterly and sort of I was really into like abstract expressionism back then. Still still do love all that kind of stuff. Mark making and I also had drawings on the wall quite like jazz and I was sort of had sketches of going to like pubs and stuff and doing drawings and they were quite loose and quite free almost very scribbly taking inspiration from that type of thing and it's gone into my work and I had some functional pieces as well.
0: Was the colour scheme quite similar as well or was that something that you developed later on?
2: colour scheme was totally different yeah because um, it was stoneware my time at uh, Winscombe the wood fired they were kind of very earthy my work's a lot cleaner now you know it's playing with a bit more colour and stuff so it's, it's changed but it's got the same feeling to it yeah
0: and you've got quite a large scale of work that you do now like you make quite massive pots would it have been to the same size at degree level or was that something you kind of learned to tailor as you've gone on
2: Similar size, sometimes bigger, <laughs> I don't know. I don't make too many of them. I, I make quite a lot of functional stuff. Well, it depends what I've got on. I've got a solo show coming up in uh, Contemporary Ceramics in London in a month's time. So I'm sort of like trying to get ready for that. So it's gonna be a mix of more of my one-off pieces for that yeah make, make a range of things functional things from cups plates bowls teapots things that I like to use
1: and so what prompted then the change to move into porcelain because it's certainly not an easy material to work with and then obviously going up to the stoneware temperatures as well it's going to have all of its different problems associated with it as well but was it just the cleanness of it or the acting as a bit of a blank canvas that appealed to you in terms of using it then
2: Yeah, so working with Lisa, her process was really, really simple. Her stuff's soda-fired, so she's not really working with many glazes. It's just coloured slips, which is like a clay, painted onto the surface of the pot, and it's once fired. And when you put the soda into the kiln, it reacts with the silica and the clay and forms a glaze. So it's really, really simple and beautiful. I almost went back to where I began. Whenever I was at Castlereagh, I was working on like a white stoneware and drawing onto that. So I just wanted that contrast, the the whites against the darker marks. I kind of started just doing it with my functional stuff porcelain and then... I kept my one-off pieces, which were stoneware, and eventually it just all merged into working with porcelain. The better I got with it and the more I understood with it, the happier I was to let that material take over. And, you know, I just became to love working with it. It does have its little quirks. It's sometimes not easy to work with. It tends to crack on you uh, sometimes in weird places, and you're, like, scratching your head going, why did I just do that, you know, or it kind of moves a lot more in the kiln because it's got a higher sort of glass content in it but I just love it as a material once you've been working with it for a while then you sort of get used to its little quirks.
1: So you gas fire, when did that start then? Was that something that you investigated in university and then just carried on?
2: I've been gas firing for, yeah, I've always gas fired. I love fire with gas, I just love being able to be in control of the atmosphere in the kiln, you know, because I think you can get really nice results that way. Yeah, I've been firing gas kilns for 17, 16, 17 years, I'd say. I like them, yeah, they're simple as well. Like I wouldn't be big into glazes. I wouldn't be big into making, I think if you're gonna fire with electric, you really need to know your, you need to have a really good glaze. You know, I'm not saying my glaze is good. <laughs> I've, been, I've been working with my glaze, my sort of Selden glaze. Well, it's, it's Selden, but it's it's got a sort of blue tint to it. It's like a transparent. But I just feel that just works well with my patterns, which are going underneath it. Or sometimes I like to leave places where there's no glaze and it's just the bare porcelain with my pattern.
1: I have two electric kilns. I've got a little top loader and a front loader. And I remember doing gas firing in university and just thinking, oh my God, I'm never gonna have the time to dedicate to staying with this kiln. You have to mark all and turn it up and everything. And it was a gorgeous experience. It was really wonderful. And I loved that, especially because there were huge kilns as well, and you were there with, you know, a group of people. It wasn't just all my work that was in it. It's that same magic that you get with any kiln anyway, where you know you're opening it up and you're seeing this, but it was very transformative whenever you're working with gas yeah. and I think with people learning now about doing ceramics that the go-to thing is now to go towards electric because it seems a lot safer in terms of you know what you put in is maybe slightly more guaranteed of what you're going to get and you don't necessarily have that firing control when you're using an electric kiln compared to a gas which I think is definitely it's a whole other art form really yeah. trying to get it just right for your yeah. work yeah
0: are you ever surprised by what comes out of the kiln like because of that level of control do you pretty much know how it's going to come out like i know ceramics always has that element of surprise generally but having worked with it for you know 17 years or so is it quite predictable for you
2: yeah it sort of it sort of has to be has to be predictable because i'm trying to sell it it's a business but saying that the way i work i'm kind of inspired by my last piece so This sort of unpredictability can sometimes happen when, at that stage, when I'm decorating or trying new things there. But yeah, it's gas and you do get nice things happen with the glaze, which it's not 100% predictable and that's a nice thing about it, but you do get nice flashes and things from the flame that are adding another dimension to the piece. Really frustratingly, my big kiln's broken like, and I've been trying to get parts for it for like a year and it's hard to get because I've had it 14 years now and I, I just sort of felt like good to get a service I surely should get a service every year like <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous it's been 14 years oh hang on brothers well, oh no my wife's just come in with a cup of tea Hi. <laughs> I thought it was my daughter she likes to come up sometimes and find out what I'm doing I Just come Hi. in. You know, <laughs> Or, or look about the studio and see what she can take with her like a lump of clay and go out in the garden and mix it with mud or something like that and then you find like all this mess all over the grass or something like that, I don't know. Yeah, I was, I was talking about kiln, the kiln broken down, yeah. I've got this wee laser kiln, it's a wee mother gas kiln, it's like a backup kiln. I've never fired it, I got it linked up to a bottle of gas um, and I'm getting real mixed results out of it. It's over firing in places and it's really oxidising in places. Uh, what I mean by oxidizing is, you know, like I got a bunch of burner where you can turn the little disc thing at the bottom and you can open it up. You close it off as yellow flame, open it up it's a blue flame. Yes. So what I want when I'm firing my kiln is a really smoky yellow flame and that draws the oxygen out of the glaze. And that's how I get my blues. It's giving me mixed results and I'm getting like loads of like oxidized pots out, which sometimes it's nice to get a few of those. But um, I'm getting some really, really stunning blues at the same time. Colors that I never got from my other kiln. So that's been really unpredictable. And actually, in a way, I'm sort of enjoying to see what I can get. If I can really reduce the kiln, like get real black smoke coming out of it. Really, really Mm -hmm. bad for the environment stuff. (laughs) No, Mm -hmm. i Then I can get some stunning, stunning blues coming out. Yeah, yeah. Is a kiln
0: quite a personal thing? I was convinced. I did a photography A-level and I was convinced that only my camera would give me the same results. My camera was stolen. I got a new camera. It was the exact same could not work with it i don't know whether it was like a temperament thing or whatever is it the same with kilns like if you got the exact same kiln as the kiln you got 14 years ago do you feel that it would work exactly the same way is that a really silly question
2: uh no it's not no yeah it's trying to work out what's going on in there what the atmosphere is doing in there to get the colors so it probably just take a bit of playing about with to get the sort of results that you need. But every kiln does behave differently. This wee laser kiln, I don't think it's a great design because like I said, things are over firing in certain places and things are under firing in certain places. So, But that's all about how you build it up as well, how you build the stack of the kiln. You know, you're thinking about how the flame's going to move around the kiln. So I've had to do a lot of playing about with it, raising the level of the floor in the bottom of the kiln to let, let a bit more draft pull through, you know, there's loads of different things that you think about. I love all that stuff, though. Mm. I love that. I'm really good at packing stuff. You know, I think that's real. We've like, seen those pictures yeah. on your Instagram that you share. <laughs> You're very proud of them. They're brilliant. Yeah, we're going on holiday. I'm, pa- I'm gonna pack the car. No, no, don't. don't <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I can pack this really, really well. <laughs>
0: I'm sure you were excellent at Tetris as a kid.
2: I don't, no, I don't know. Actually, I never really tried it very much. Could have been Could have been yeah. <laughs> yeah, a world champion Tetris sure. player. That's I'm what a we're missing. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: have you ever had any really massive disasters? Is there any that come to mind whenever you think of, oh God, that was, I don't even want to think of that. That was a dark
2: moment and you're making history. Thankfully, nothing massive. I've had the odd bad firing but you just get on with it do you know what my worst fear is can i always check my shit actually i haven't been doing it lately i must get back into doing that again i always check my sit- shelves before i put them in the kiln you know the way you have like a ring you hit like a cup and if it's broken you can hear it's dead but if you flick it you can hear a nice ring i always tap my kiln shelves just to see if i can hear that ring and if it went because say if one of them cracked at the bottom of the kiln and it oh. just came tumbling down oh. what's <laughs> happening I'll tell you a disaster I've had. My kiln broke. So as I was firing, the burner, one of the burners stopped working and it was glowing red hot. I thought the burner was going to melt. But I was like thinking to myself, I have to keep going with this firing because there's about eight grams working there and Um, I I can't afford to lose that. So thankfully, it wasn't a disaster, but it could have been. You know, I was just, Concerned that it would never reach temperature and lose the work. Oh gosh!
1: Thankfully, it didn't. Yeah. So your work has always had a fluidity to the forms. They always seem to capture your energy on the pottery wheel. Recently, your surface decoration has become more expressive and spontaneous in your mark making. Um, Could you talk us through the design influences and processes that prompted you to move away from the surface illustrations that you used to do? Yeah, it's just a
2: time in my life. Whenever I was trying to work out a direction I needed to go in at that time. I was just playing about with ideas. It would have been what was going on around right in my life. Nothing too deep, but you know, just work life in the studio. So there'd be like pots with drawings of pots on it, pottery wheels and my bicycle featured uh, on pots. And I worked in Flower Art Centre and the Flower Field Building used to feature quite a lot on, on pots. It's just about my day to day goings on. And that was sort of ended up in my pots and they were quite loose and free, but then I don't know, I just moved on. It's, my forms have actually become slightly tighter. Uh, my decorations become well it's always been loose yeah it's just trying to marry those two together I feel sometimes you know if your forms too very loose and your decorations loose it's hard to get it to work but if you keep the forms simple then you can play about more with the decoration so that's where I'm at at the minute it's just strip strip things down trying to keep the forms simple and play about with the surface
0: so you were saying you were in flower fields that was for about 12 years wasn't it?
2: Yeah, 12 years. I know it's amazing how time flies by. I still sort of feel I'm only starting out. <laughs> uh, 14 years on down the line. I suppose I'm always going to be kind of learning. That's why you do it, isn't it? If you felt you reached the point where you think, so oh, that's it, you know, I've made it. You'd sort of give up and do something else, wouldn't you? No, I feel like I've still got lots to learn. I'm still developing and still finding real interest and drive to keep going.
0: And how did you find your floor fields
2: experience? Oh, yes. Well, I should have said that at the start. So after I finished with Lisa, there was an opportunity with Craft and I, and they had like a making it scheme. And I was on that for two years I was one of the lucky early ones who got a bit of money to support while they were on the two-year scheme and basically meant that i didn't have to go out and get a job it wasn't a lot of money i just sort of struggled on through and but i was able to focus 100 on starting my business off that was a good help and flower Field was one of the host organizations that were part of the scheme so i was living in london for a couple of years and i just decided i want to be out of the city i want to be by the sea so that's why i went to flower Field. And I've stayed in the area and not too far away from Port Stewart, living in haven't said that, mm-hmm. uh, we've bought a house here five years ago with the potential mm-hmm. to build a studio and now it's happened. So, um, yeah.
1: And so we know then that
2: from your experience with Flowerfield Art Centre, you
1: recently done a Kickstarter that tied in with your move to, I don't know how to say it,
2: Akna- Ak- Akadui. Akadui. I know. Akadui. Akadui. <laughs> Whenever I used to live up here, uh, when I used to live in Port Stewart, you know, I, maybe I was driving down the country, suddenly I see a sign, yeah, I and I used to think, so, what is that place? <laughs> I, Where is that? I have to go and drive in there sometime, but there's no centre to it. You can oh. be driving all around, it's lovely, like, you know, it's nice, yeah. nice, nice
1: spot. Obviously, buying your house and settling there in that gorgeous scenery in the gorgeous countryside, you wanted to move your business closer to home then. Then you started the Kickstarter, you launched that in 2017.
2: Yes, oh, it was 2017. Yeah, it probably was by then. Yeah, I mean, I've always dreamed of having my own studio at home. That's the dream. I never really realised that it would happen. Never really thought I'd have my own house. So all these things coming together, it's, it's been amazing. Yeah, so we had, there was this big barn, big barn on, on the land in our house, and that's why we bought it, with the potential to, to build it into the studio. Just thought of going down the crowdfunding route. I was a bit nervous doing it because I sort of would feel a bit embarrassed if nobody supported me you know and you'd have to or if people did support you and you didn't make your target you have to give all the money back to mm. the people we had the kickstart it for four weeks i think is the time and i was amazed we reached our target within a week you know mm. um oh. we asked for 10 grand and then it went dead for the last the next two weeks and then i thought i'd try and push it again just to see if i get a bit more money because the studio was going to cost a lot more than that i think the studio cost quite a bit more than what we got in the kickstarter but my goodness me it was a it was huge help to build in the studio
0: and how um, did you find running that Kickstarter I've heard it's quite labour intensive you know it's not just something you can set up and walk away from that you have to keep engaging and what were your giveaways?
2: Yes I had a series of rewards i had like a little bud vase as a start-off point I can't remember how much it's sort of like around 20 or 30 pounds and then there was a mug and it was 40 pounds you know and then a bowl and the opportunity to have, another reward would be to have a pottery lesson with two people. So there, was, there were many rewards and people then bought into that. But you could also put a bit of money into it if you didn't want a, a reward. I mean, it was, it was great just seeing that money come in, but you have to make the living stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I find that very hard, you know, once you've got money in. I like to do a job and then get paid, but anyway. It, it doesn't matter that that was great to have to receive that i shouldn't be complaining about those kinds of things yeah my wife catherine she's a glass maker she hasn't really been working with glass just because she's a mum now at the minutes and she's loving that and putting her time into that but she would help me out and she would have set up that kickstarter for me and she would have done a lot of the helping me out with all those kinds of things like you said it's a lot of work in setting it up and responding to people and you know all that kind of stuff and she's she's great that way
1: such a solid commitment as well to have to fulfill those orders to getting them out on time and making sure everybody's happy with that and then happily taking their money and moving on to build you know your dream but were there any other challenges that you didn't quite expect going into the kickstarter that maybe came up that was it more a timeline thing that was the most challenging aspect of it of getting it built and then producing the work how did you actually manage that did you make the
2: work first i just i made all the work when i was in flower fields. so I was trying to think when the build started maybe the builds might have started as soon as i got the rewards out to people you know it okay. didn't happen straight away and it was um at a time where i was trying to get christmas stock out to people you know, because it would have been done over the Christmas holidays. And then in the January is when I finished and got all the stuff out. People think February, I started posting it all out. So I was trying to manage, trying to keep shops and galleries happy at the same time. as trying to make all the stuff. I had help. I had an apprentice at that time. He helped me. That was great. One of the things I didn't consider was some of the places I post to in the world. The postage was wild. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know. It's going to be hard enough to ship ceramics anyway. I mean, it doesn't yeah. bounce.
1: So, yeah. you know, just never mind the, the weight of it and... Oh my gosh, were you out of pocket for that or was that considered in the
2: price? It wasn't too bad. Some of the smaller things would have made a bit on it. So it kind of like evened out postage wise Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah.
1: And so your apprentice then was Jack McGonagall, was it at the time?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh What was that like then, having to train someone to your specifications then? What was that like sharing those skills?
2: Yeah, I've known, I've known, I knew Jack since he was 17, since he was in Limavady, and he asked, can he come and work for me in summers and stuff? And um, we just had a chat, you know, whenever he of progressing and he actually ended up going to Cardiff University to do his degree. And we sort of had a chat because he would have come back in his holidays and at Christmas time and helped me out and stuff. So I would take him on. And we actually uh, got some funding for Quest Queen's scholarship. We had an interview. We went over for it. We were successful. So Jack became my apprentice and that, helped pay his wages. I paid half his wage and... The, the other half was coming from that organization. So it works really well. Yeah,
1: now he's in your space in Flowerfield with Fiona
2: Shannon. And yeah, working right. away yeah and he's burning. doing Yeah, he's making some really lovely pots. I have some of his work. He's a great potter.
0: From whenever you started your Kickstarter, did you have a visual plan, like in drawings, for how the space would look and how it would function? Or was that something that kind of developed as the building progressed?
2: See, at the same time as doing the Kickstarter, we were working on our house as well. I find that one of the most stressful times of my life. Um, I kind of just want it, you know, as the building was going on, I'd be walking in and going, I want electric points there, there, and there. And just always happened so quick, and I had I felt like I needed to make decisions in the studio and in the house about things, and I just end up being it's a brilliant job, it's a great space, it's got lovely light coming into it, big massive window at the front, uh, which was the barn roller barn doors, we just put a big window in there and nice skylights, lovely light coming in the studio. Yeah, two decisions as the project was going on is find a bit challenging. Don't know if I'm a very good manager, so <laughs> <laughs> anyway is
0: there anything you would change I just recently bought a house and there are so many things I made decisions at the time and I was like yep that's where I want it that's definitely what I want but when you live in the space or use the space you're like oh I really wish that was taller I wish I'd done that different I mean functionally is it exactly what you wanted or would there be things that you would have changed if you could go back
2: just looking around (laughs) me no I no, it's it. Yeah, I put, a, I put a big massive drain down the middle of the studio, thinking that I would um every now and then hose it down and squidgy all the water right through the yeah, that's through a the good drain. idea. But I've never done that, so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're just option. not messy
1: enough yeah <laughs> well <laughs> I, I, w-
2: I wouldn't say that i was thinking about paving out the back that's my next thing getting some pavers down out the back and how we table so when i run classes people can then sit outside when we do have some which yeah. is very not very often a we cup of tea or whatever but there's this big drain there now that i'm thinking about just i don't use it so i'm just going to fill it and put a pavers on top of it so anyway there's a there's a big drain down the middle of the studio for absolutely no reason
0: at least yeah. you have that option <laughs>
2: yeah
0: you're talking about workshops and teaching whenever you had that as an option on kickstarter how did that go was did you wait until the space was completely built or did you offer that as workshop somewhere else
2: No, yeah, well and some people were eager to and had the time it happened that they just came to flower fields and did right. the workshop there's still some people actually still need to get up here and use it you know, there's maybe one more couple that need to come and do it but um, yeah, I just, the other ones I just ran in the studio. I've not, I'm now set up. I've got six wheels here now for running classes. So nice. whereas before I just had the two.
0: How do you find teaching? Do you find it very different from your practice? Or do you find it's like a natural, an extra limb that just fits in nicely with what you do already?
2: I love teaching. It's totally different. It's nice having people up in the, in the studio and a, a bit of crack and people are really enthusiastic. It's different from my everyday and lights. It's nice change. It's one of those things, part of my business that I think is lovely to have or lovely to, to be able to do. I very much like teaching.
0: And is it all the levels that would join? So as a complete novice, so I've never done ceramics. Well, no, sorry. I tell a lie. I've done one ceramics class with Gemma and she was brilliant.
2: But uh-huh. uh, I'm <laughs> not a natural
0: no. thrower. Is it for all skill levels or would it be, you know, people who maybe do the degree and then want to come and polish up their throwing? Or is it quite open?
2: Yeah, so I've got quite a lot of people who come back who've done it before. But I'm open to people who've not done it before, uh want to give it a go. And they sometimes they sometimes it's a bit of a mix in the class. I'm okay with that. I have done other things. Like I work with this since I've had the studio, it's given me more opportunities to do teaching. And uh, I had a blind group in, nice. which was interesting. Actually, I did teach them in Flower Field. That's how they got my contact. They were in touch with Floorfield and asked if they were a tutor at does ceramics. So I was able to do it. So they were in touch with me. They came out to my studio. It was all OK for them to be in there. You know, they did a wee check just to see if it was like health and safety, you know, all right. I really loved doing that. I just loved watching them make, you know, like, they were hand building. But just the kind of things they were able to produce just by feel and touch. There's one lady, she must have been, She's. I think she's nearly 90. She She'd lost her sight she said she used to paint and she lost her sight over the last 15 years I just sort of thought that must be so hard to have yeah. seen all your life and then not be able to see it. I gave her a go in the wheel my goodness her wee face lit up just at the oh. feel of it and, and then she was able to actually do it I got such a buzz from that I just yeah. loved that I sort of wish I had a said to her you know come on round anytime have a wee go if you want yeah. I'd love to find out what she's up to she's loving me lady yeah.
1: you know Aww. it's just
2: like, opportunities like that that I really love it's nice experiences
1: so with your Kickstarter do you think you would do it again That'd be a bit cheeky, wouldn't it? <laughs> it?
2: I don't know. I, no. Love to do it again for something else. See the Kickstarter. I almost felt like it was begging when I first did that, so like not one to do it. It's probably Catherine, my wife, sort of pushing me down that route. But it's not really begging because they get their piece. They're buying a piece. It's like an online shop, isn't it? They're yeah. buying their piece of work. Yeah, I sort of like think, Oh, there's that Alan Free one going again, like going for another Kickstarter. see <laughs> like I probably I don't see why not. Could do it again for something. Yeah. And so any other
1: people that are maybe thinking of doing their own Kickstarter do you have any advice that you'd like to
2: give them from doing it I think it's a brilliant thing to do because you get what you need out of it I got a studio out of it but also you you're building up so many contacts it's a really good business move there's so many people around the world that put into my Kickstarter who are now you know my contacts now people who will continue to it's a new audience Um, and whenever I did my Kickstarter actually was which I think helped me I was project of the day on Kickstarter wow. and that, that just um, opened up but yeah a, like I said a whole new audience so I've got those people who follow me now and that's why I think it's a good thing to do
0: and so you've got quite a large following of 18,000 on Instagram how do you find managing that we were talking to Stuart Kearns and he said it's almost like a visual diary where he can upload different elements of his practice in life how do you find you use social media
2: Probably don't use it to its full potential. I haven't posted it in quite a few days. Now I go through phases and I don't tend to write a lot of stuff. I just sort of put up like work I'm working on. It's like a little visual diary, exactly. Like Stuart says, I think it's important to keep people in the loop of what's going on, keeps people interested, you know, and then you have events coming up, then you can like promote them and that. I don't know how the heck I got that many followers. I must have joined it at a stage when they were sort of giving out followers, you know. uh, (laughs) (laughs) free. You're so modest. Um, I think it's quite hard to get followers now. I think they've done something that, and they make you, they want to like, make you want to pay for for stuff, don't they now? You know, you have to advertise to probably get followers now and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. But it is, see social media. It's it's been brilliant for my business. It's been brilliant.
1: Do you think that it validates all that hard work that you've done before just to get that engagement and to get that audience? Do you feel like you've made it online? Do you feel like you're an Um, influencer? You can strut about and say, I have 18,000 followers. I'm (laughs) not improved.
2: No, not at all. No. Okay. Sometimes I think to myself, if you look at other potters or whatever, and maybe they haven't got like that many followers. And I sort of think, why have I got that? Why have I got that? And then they don't have that. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm very, very happy to, that uh, there's a lot of people out there that like what to do. I mean, that's brilliant because um, that's really important for me to for my life, you know, for my family and just make it as a, as a business. There's nothing that I would want more than to be successful. I don't really know. I don't really think about it too much, actually. It's probably uh-huh. the best way to be then. It hasn't yeah. all went to
1: your head. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you stay very grounded. Yeah. So, what does a typical week look like in your studio? I'm sure from day to day you've got different tasks that go on to, but with a new week, you know, every Monday, do you sit down and you say, okay, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, you've got orders, or do you have a typical week?
2: The way I work as a potter, There's always things in different stages, like one day you might be throwing and then you might be wrapping it up to finish later. Yeah, there's always the similar sort of jobs going on. Uh, Probably not enough paperwork going on actually, That's I should maybe focus more on bookkeeping. But yeah, a typical week could be like, I could maybe come in the studio on Monday and start, sit down at the wheel and throw all day. And then the next day would be coming in to finish off that work. And day after that, maybe it'd be thinking about decorating and then leaving things to dry. And like then maybe restart that whole thing again, making, finishing, decorating, building up, fill up the shelves, ready for them firing the work.
1: So you seem like you've got to a place that many can only really dream of getting to. What's next and where do you go from
2: here? Like I just keep doing what I'm doing, keep making pots and With my business, well, I can't travel at the minute, but I like the idea of traveling, exhibiting in different places, uh, like my solo show on contemporary ceramics. I'm always trying to. reach sort of milestones and that's, it's a shame that I actually can't go to that exhibition where I don't think I will, it depends what's going on in the world at that time, but it's like a highlight of my career there. It's just like all these little milestones that you're kind of hoping that'll happen. I worked with a factory in Portugal and that was a completely different experience to work in the studio because you're drawing the pots and, and I was designing a range for them. And that was really cool because you could see how it works in industry and that's like a different way. I'm always just, I'm happy to learn and happy to try new things. I was even thinking, you know, because my work is heavily decorated, patterns, marks. I could even go into the textiles, you know, and I could go down that route. It's just endless. I just, I like being creative. Just like to see where it takes me. You know, I sort of, I sort of go with the flow. If I think too much about things, I just get stressed out.
1: And so how did that opportunity come up then for you working in that ceramics factory in Portugal?
2: It was through um, a show I did in London, a, a design fair, I think it was called Tent. I went over with the Crafts Council of Ireland, they took a big stand and I was actually demoing that. and then I had quite a big selection of my work. And um, I actually met the, the head of Heels department store as well then, who turned up in this like lime green shirt, uh, hanging out. And I kind of thought to myself, who's this, who's this character here, you know,
1: <laughs> but it ends
2: up he was uh, quite quite an interesting contact. So, um, you know, I got my work in there, into their shop. But so that was a great place for me to pick up. I've gone off on one, haven't I? And I? You know, I should stick to what you've yeah. asked me. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, the, the factory uh, just came about then. I met the guy. He said he looked at my work and he was in his broken english said it's easy for you you know you can you can design a range basically i think he wanted me just to design everything i'd made for him so i sort of sat down i thought about pots um, i'd like to see in production you know i had to think about uh, the design of a pot as well because also would be coming in out of mold so certain shapes wouldn't work that well but uh, they invited me over to Portugal, and i made the pieces out there for the, the mold makers then to make the molds from. But yeah, it was really, it was really a really interesting experience. I really enjoyed being there
1: how do you feel about your work being made in a factory setting having been designed by you but not made by you
2: yeah i think i just accept it's just totally separate it's different it's cool it's just another i don't know what i never really, i didn't really thought about it it's just a different way to produce
0: could you tell us a wee bit more about the exhibition
2: that's coming up i had a few solo shows not that many in my my career so it's i feel it's a big thing i need a lot of work for it and like i said before my kiln my big kiln's not working but actually parts just arrived um the other day not everything but bits and pieces that I can fit on to start to get it going again. So, because I really need to get some big, bigger pieces out. Mm -hmm. I'm just um, playing about with new ideas and trying to like just enjoy and try and... It's just nice to be able to have the freedom just to play about with slightly new forms and new patterns, new new marks and, and just... Focus purely on that. That's what I'm doing at the minute. You know, just focusing purely on the, on that show. And
0: when is it?
2: It's September, 23rd of September. So, uh, yeah, and I think they want the work, you know, on the 9th, which isn't long. It's only like, like a month away. So I'm ready yeah. to get, get going with trying to get things made for it. But, yeah, no, I'm looking. I'm, I'm excited about it. If I can't be there, it's still good sort of promotion and that type of thing.
1: So another project that you were a part of was the Plate date, working with local chefs and local restaurants. Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, that was really good fun. As I said, that's, that's an idea for my wife again. You know, she's like... <laughs> she she kind of had, had this idea that, you know, we could do this thing and for Instagram or social media. You know, we could, me and her, we'd go out for a date, but we'd bring my plates with me and go and ask the chef, do you mind serving our dinner on these plates just to get photographs of? And it's like homework because you're, you know, trying to see how food, how it functions when it's, you know, it's reached its potential of having the food on the plates. But it's not really, but it's like, you want to have a nice, nice dinner and uh, an excuse. So I, we tried a couple of places up in the north coast and um, just, had it, just asked the chef and didn't know how they would take it. But they're all like really cool about it. Like, oh, yeah, definitely Brilliant. that's cool. So I did it in a few places. And then um, I met a guy uh, who's a chef, Paul. He's a, fr- a friend of mine now. He owns a couple of restaurants um, just outside Belfast. And uh, I met him at a show and he started talking pots to me. And then I found out he's a chef. And I was like, I don't want to talk about pots, let's talk about your restaurants, because I'm more interested about that. But he had actually studied ceramics. So it was nice. always his, he always, uh, I think, you know, for his business, you, you know, the idea of using handmade pots would be amazing for him. He came and did one of my my courses, and we got chatting again, and then he saw the plate date, thought it was a great idea. And we decided to do a plate date down in one of his restaurants. It's like 30 people, ticketed events, five course meal, wine with each course. And you know it felt like a bit more like a wedding or something like that, because it kind of felt like I had to go around at all the tables and sort of say to people, hi, I'm Adam Frew. um, hope you enjoy your meal and the, and the potter or whatever, you know. It was really, really cool. Uh, it's a really, really fun thing to do. Yeah, it's just stuff like that's part of my business that I really love. And with Paul, I stock his restaurants with plates, some plates, you know, he started making his own uh, for his restaurants. He's making some really, really lovely stuff. It's a place called Billy Andy's and uh, Sleepy Hollow. Don't know if you've ever heard of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sleepy
2: Hollow and they are so good. Sometimes I turn up just with a plate in my hand to go down and just to see what I said, Paul, what would look good in that? You know, um, could you serve something on that? never asked for money off me you know um so what I do now is I just give them the plate at the end of the food say there you are you can have that for your restaurants fantastic that's lovely yeah that's how it came about and um maybe do another one of those because it was it was good business wise you know I didn't sell too many plates that night it was a lot of work but it was good fun
0: it's an incredible way to almost have an exhibition you know that's such an interactive way to use your work it just sounds amazing
2: it's um because you know you're making functional items they're going into an exhibition and they're mm-hmm. sort of only they're not even they're only halfway there so they're like the meets to potential while in the restaurant when the food actually goes on them and that's how they're meant to be used not stuck up on a shelf you know they're meant to be being used every day
0: and i'm a big fan of catherine's i love her work is just gorgeous how yeah. do you find having such a creative partnership and also having a, a young family as well and managing all of that
2: yeah, it's great because Catherine understands my work and, you know, you're both makers yourselves. It's, it's um, sometimes you have to work funny hours just to yeah. get things done for things, you know, and she understands that. So it's, it's good. And um, I'm happy that uh, Catherine is happy being a mother at the minute. She's not missing the glass too much. She's finding other ways to be creative. She's loving garden at the minute. She's out there making veg patches in her wee greenhouse. And that's her obsession at the minute and um, having young kids. Do you know what, it's lovely being at home, So I can pop down for lunch and I can see my kids, you know, hang out and it's just a really nice, it's just a great sort of scenario, really.
0: Have you found being a parent has changed how you work or your practice in any way?
2: Yeah, I don't. I try not to work weekends and stuff. I'm trying to manage, me need to manage my time better. You can't get distracted like you're, you're in the middle of making pots and then you're on the computer <laughs> drifting off somewhere. You're meant to be doing emails or something like that. You know, I just try to be a bit more more strict with my time. Just trying to remember what's important in life. You know, it's not all about yeah. work. You know, it's about, it's about my family. Yeah. And are
0: your kids showing any interest in uh, being early potters?
2: Um, I, haven't got, I haven't got them on the wheel yet because I know if I get them on the wheel... That's what's never I, off. That's what my wee girls called Francis, that's what she's gonna be doing. She's gonna come up my studio going, Daddy, I wanna go in the the." <laughs> but she comes up and she makes things with clay, she rolls them out and she, she was making me butterflies. Aww. And she was she's painting them. So she's quite I don't all kids are creative, you know, but yeah. she she's she's creative
1: you're a little apprentice there that you're gonna train up as it to, yeah. Yeah. to work in the pottery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where would you say the majority of your income comes from would it be from workshops commissions wholesale do you get funding
2: yeah wholesale workshops and online sales and lockdown has been really interesting because it's all been online and mm-hmm. it's been really quite good so it's trying to think how you how you balance that doing the wholesale and it's just whenever i started i did everything you know if anyone asked because you didn't know, it's all about learning what to say yes to and what to say no to. But at the start, it's all about saying yes to everything. And you can go down so many avenues, which are a waste of time. And, um, so I'd say this lockdown has been interesting that my work has been so popular online and gone around the world. So my, it just opened up that market. It's a huge market. Previous to that, you know, it's it's been online and it's been wholesale orders. And it's been the workshops definitely since I started doing I don't do many, I don't do lots of workshops, you know, I only do like, you know, four a year. So mm-hmm. it's it just helps the cash flow. Yeah.
0: Do you have a preferred way of selling your work? Because obviously whenever people buy craft, they're buying into you as a person. Do you like having that, you know, face to face with connection with your customers? Or are you happy to have a gallery sell your work? Yeah. Do you like to know where your exhibition pieces go? Or is that just, it's more of a business?
2: I like, sometimes people email me and they email me like a picture of like a really old pot they have in their house. And I kind of look at it and go, my goodness, you know, that's that's awful. Or <laughs> or I think, oh, wow, I remember that pot. Oh, that's so nice to see. I've, it brings back memories. I, you know, I, it's nice to know where that is. But I also like um, meeting customers, you know, and I do shows and go on the exhibitions. It's, it's that feedback's lovely, isn't it? You know, I'm yeah. sure you know yourselves, and that's something that I haven't been able to do. In the while, I was meant to do a show in London there before, just before lockdown. I'm sort of glad I got cancelled because it's right at the start, and um, that's the time whenever you, you sort of you meet people and talk about your work, and people seem interested. I was going to say one of the one of the best things about being a potter for me is opening the kiln, and the next thing is selling it because that, I get a good buzz from that because you can people. Are buying it because they see something else in it and they love it that's the buzz that's why i do it one of the reasons why i do it is is selling it and people enjoying it you know that's for me so yeah meeting customers is is really it really can be really lovely but i don't mind selling things online as well
0: in your beautiful new studio what would be your favorite piece of equipment like desert island kind of situation what is your favorite tool to use
2: I don't know, desert island. Um, I
0: mean, I suppose if you're on a desert island, you're maybe not going to be making ceramics. Isn't really going to be here. A <laughs> yeah. way
2: to put the time in,
0: but uh, I'll probably, like take, I just, I I probably
2: think... take like a like a woodwork chisel with me or something like that to to carve something <laughs> out of a <laughs> out of a piece of wood, build the sofa. You know, but, um, <laughs> but I was yeah. just
0: thinking because you're so painterly with how you glaze, just watching the videos, even on Instagram, of how you paint on and and that process, it. It seems almost that you're half painter half potter so which kind of element do you think is more enjoyable for you or like your favorite process in the studio
2: do you know what i hate doing and i was doing it this morning for us yeah. waxing waxing oh, out for you guys it's just so boring and I, <laughs> yeah the thing about ceramics is and for me i'm a bit of a geek for processes the thing why i love ceramics is the process you start off with a little bit clay it, and, it, and, you, may, and you, you put your hands on it and it turns into something. And then you let that dry, you come back to it the next day and then you do you turn it and it turns into something else. And then it's ready for decorating. And then you have to glaze it. Glazing, I wouldn't be too excited about glazing. It can be creative, you know, when you talk about me, when, I, when I'm pouring the glaze on randomly and splashing bits of the here, this here and there. But yeah, that uh, process I enjoy much is opening the kiln. Mm-hmm. Opening yes. the, kiln, open the door of the kiln, that's what I like, yeah.
0: So I was hoping you were going to say frog tape because you seem to use. Um, oh yeah. It's lovely how That's, you like wrap yes. it. up. I think there should be a frog or
2: some sort. That's my favorite So That's what I take to Zara Island.
0: Multifunctional. You could. It's electrical tape. Mass together. What is electrical tape. Electrical tape. It's
2: the only thing that sticks.
0: Yeah.
1: What advice would you give to anybody who is just at the beginning of their making journey?
2: Yeah. Stick at it. It's hard It's hard graft, because the way I started was because I do an apprenticeship. The way I started was I had a two-year apprenticeship. I learned so much there. I learned about what shows to go and do, what ceramic shows to be doing. So whenever I started my business up in Flowerfield, I was applying for those shows and making pots for them and going along and trying to sell them, doing retail fairs and wholesale fairs and building up and you know galleries can come and meet you there and find you there. And, and traveling you know i didn't just stick in northern ireland i went across the water yeah just to stick stick at it it's just go and visit a show that you think might be good and, and ask people what's that like for you if, if you haven't if there's no other way to do it you know it's good to go and check these things out see what help there is from organizations like craft and i and the Crafts council of ireland and stuff because they've all been good help major major helps in, in starting out and funding as well let's out for funding you know there's Support for individual artists in the Crafts Council, you know, and there's lots of things to, that will help support young makers um, going out. Uh, and it takes time. It'll, it'll not happen. It just takes time. You know, I've been out of 14, I'm in the business 14 years now, and maybe only in the last sort of five, six years, it, it's starting to work. So, well, that's a that's, bit that's depressing, isn't it? Well, I'm just, I'm, of, I'm, a, I'm just a bit of, maybe I'm a bit of a slow coach. It's just sticking at it. Some people are, are well, I don't know. I wouldn't, I not say. I'm not really a businessman, but maybe in a way I am. Not, I don't really, you know, yeah. People are probably better at business than I am, and they can, they can, they can succeed a lot quicker. Are you not inundated with
1: people getting in touch with you, asking you for things, asking to come and work for you? Do you get a lot of that?
2: Yeah, I do. I do get people. Yeah, i would better to be having a a Polish girl come over this summer but obviously that's not going to happen. I do get people wondering if I've got can take them on and stuff and yeah I do get, get quite a lot of that. Uh-huh.
0: Is that quite a big time investment for you or is that an element that you you kind of enjoy?
2: It's hard It's really hard to get somebody good. It's quite a lot of skill involved in what I do. It's hard Absolutely. to get the right person. I find yeah. it quite challenging, yeah. I did have a, I've got, I had someone working for me just before lockdown, a girl, and I've known her for a while, so she can do quite a few different things for me. It's nice having somebody else about it as well. In the future, I think I'd like to try and think about that again, is getting getting somebody on, yeah, keep taking somebody on. and But at the minute, I'm happy enough just managing things myself, yeah. Would you
1: find it isolating? I know that some makers would find it a bit of an isolating thing that they do, because whether they've maybe come from a university setting like yourself, where you're around all of these people, and then suddenly it's just you. You seem to have a fantastic support from your wife, Catherine, your young family as well. That must be really nice that's, to have. But are you, would you say it's isolating?
2: That's why I quite like doing the classes. That's why I like getting out to shows, exhibitions, and doing wee projects like plate date and stuff I need those things in my life in my business if I was just in the studio all the time just making all the time absolutely I'd, I'd, yeah I need other things
1: or would you find it a bit better working by yourself would it be too distracting to have a couple of other potters in, in the same setting or is it better for you to focus with it like, just being yourself making
2: I do like the focus yeah I, I like uh, yeah I'd feel it if I had other people around me I'd feel I have to like stop and chat to them every now and then but I, I actually do like just getting my head down and getting getting the work done so it it's, it works well for me I don't feel lonely <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm happy with the way it, like the way things are it's where it works well and so
0: you seem like a very busy person obviously with all the elements of your business and family that you have but do you do anything in your spare time that you really enjoy that's maybe completely different or that ties into your practice
2: I like doing creative things. You know, I, I really love woodwork. I, I built all the tables and stuff, benches, and all in the studio. And um, my house is an ongoing project, so I love getting in. I'm making tiles for the bathroom, I'm making tiles for the furnace. It's all work, isn't it? I find it hard to sort of like say, no. I just like to lie around and chill yeah. out. But um, I like I like doing things. I like keep myself busy. Yeah, I like just doing being creative, even if it's just getting out and out and about and looking at things and get out in the bike or something like again and just um go and camping with the family soon which would be okay. interesting because the kids haven't been camping before so i wonder how that's all gonna work so um <laughs> might, might not feel like a holiday might feel like yeah i do like to do other things apart from make pots but it seems to be dominating my life at the minute, you know, just with all the things that I've, I've got going on. And yeah. I kind some of sometimes... Actually, to be honest, I feel guilty if I'm not working. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to slow down. It's hard to stop, I sort of find. I think that's a, a real skill if you're able to slow switch down, on. switch off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's hard could to switch de- off.
0: Could you describe your tiles? I wonder what the famous Adam Frey would make for himself as a guilty <laughs> pleasure tile.
2: Uh, yeah, there's... Um, I'm just mucking about with different patterns on it, you know. Sometimes less is more with a tile because it can be quite much, quite a lot. If it's you know, if it's my that's one thing about my my decorations, hard to know when to stop. You can really yeah. can overdo it so many times. There's just we some, some are just like wee blue stripes with a little like drawn line, and that was my bathroom tile. And then what when I tile around the fireplace is like a vintage uh, design I did like years ago, it's like a it's like a painted green pattern that has like white squares going through it and then it's um, got line lines drawn through it it looks sort of 60s and then i'm just going to have some dark celadon tiles just on the outside of the fireplace gorgeous yeah yeah a proper grand
1: design then that sounds really exciting (laughs) (laughs) and so what was the
0: last piece of locally made craft that you purchased either for yourself or as a gift
2: yeah I, i I quite often swap with people. I like doing swaps, mm-hmm. you know, so then you're like, um, but actually my friend, Northern Irish maker, I'm sure you're wanting to hear about, uh, I thought from a friend, Peter Montgomery, has recently gone off to Austria to mm-hmm. with his girlfriend and he's got a up. hopefully making pots there. But um I said to him before he left, because we want to get him in his pots for a while, you know, um, Love to get some some pots off you you know i like your mugs bowls and stuff and uh i just randomly in the post about a week ago uh, a box turned up with a selection of pots in it like i didn't even buy them he just oh. me. and they're they're lovely so um that's that's one one guy a recent recent wasn't a purchase but you know it was a recent um, acquiring of work
0: pots. lovely so i'm sure your home is coming down as a very creative space then with all of these lovely pots and swaps and tiles and
2: yeah like i, I don't I have my my second end up in the cupboard uh, at home, and uh, then I have a lot of things which I've traded with people or bought. So I like buying, like buying pots, yeah, for for use. Yeah. Do you have
1: a coveted piece that you have? Do you have like a, a Louis re? Oh
2: no, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> what should I go for? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I've got some Sven, Sven Bear. I've got a real mix some sort of slipware pieces. Uh, totally different to my work actually. Uh, some wood fired pieces. Yeah, and they're probably all going to get smashed over time because and I do use them and I've got kids. Do you know what? So what? You know, just yeah. buy other buy other things. No, I'm not, I don't want to be like, have anything that's too precious or think of anything that's too precious.
1: It's just something yeah.
2: mm-hmm. you a love, love. a love of anyway, isn't it? You know, yeah. part, I,
1: a <laughs> I have yeah. a gorgeous little creamer of yours that was gifted to me from Robin.
2: Oh, well,
1: thank you, Robert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my son uses it whenever we're baking to crack the eggs in because he is obsessed with cracking eggs. Like, he oh, yeah. is mad for it. So he gets <laughs> the little egg basket and he's like, crack eggs. Um, so he knows to get the atom free little creamer and it's covered. And it's got a oh. wee chip on it because he was very enthusiastic one time of dumping the eggs into the bowl. And I was like, oh, I have to throw out the whole mix now because there's a <laughs> chip. <laughs> he still uses it. That's his um, egg pouring cup. So awesome. he's a big fan yeah well i'm glad to hear you're using it oh definitely so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm not a fan of people you know buying stuff and not using it if it has a function it's getting used <laughs> yeah.
2: Brilliant. yeah
0: whenever you are looking to collect ceramics what is it that you really like from the ceramics that you buy is it the story is it the person is it how it feels in your hand you know is it the glazes what is your favorite element
2: just has to look good has to feel good has to be a good design in my eyes and yeah my, my taste has changed over the years went from like when I first started ceramics to loving nearly everything about ceramics to yeah like yeah I'm a bit of a pottery snob <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's totally fine You're my go-to for uh, most of my (laughs) presents. I have a lot of ceramic friends, so it always goes down well whenever I bring an Adam Fru over.
1: (laughs) Ah, Brilliant. If you were handed a million pounds
2: or like a a blank check, what would you do?
0: This could be inspiration for your next Kickstarter.
2: I'd have have maybe a pottery studio in the Mediterranean or something like that. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I don't know, just off the cuff. Yeah, yeah, something like that
1: yeah nice, that sounds nice that sounds like you've thought of that
2: before actually yeah. <laughs>
1: that's, ready that's,
2: to go. that's more my climate i think that's more my climate you know <laughs> than, than all this wet and cold oh
1: gosh yeah The <laughs> weather has been horrific lately but hasn't it yeah so if people want to get in touch with you or find
2: out more information about you where can they go how can they get in touch just um through my website com, and there's there's a, a link there to an email so get in touch through my email um yeah, not sure if I want to have my mobile number, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's sorry. totally
0: fine. Don't worry.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, it's just through that. And also, you know, also my social media. Go and check me out on on my Instagram and Facebook, and that's another way to get in touch. People a lot of people get in touch that way too. It's very difficult. You have all these different things, isn't it? You can get messages through. It's hard to sort of keep in top of all of it. Probably emails, probably best. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Uh, it's been oh, thank you. yeah
1: really wonderful. True for us no thanks
2: very much i very much enjoyed talking to you so thank you that was was
1: lovely thank you so much adam for a great conversation it was a pleasure to speak with you about your making journey thank you also to the arts council of northern ireland who have funded our second series as part of their artist emergency program coming next we speak with master woodmaker david coosley whose episode we can't wait to share on thursday the 24th of september 2020